Take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you grabbed your notes this morning, you kind of recognize the fact that uh, we're covering almost four chapters. You're kind of going, wow, that's quite the pace. Uh, There is a reason that that pace is such, because in two weeks' time, we're changing what we're doing for Sunday school. Uh, Ladies, you'll be down the hallway and uh, in a session about uh, using a book called Choosing Gratitude. Uh, and uh, having a ladies study there instead of on Wednesdays. I know some of you can't make it uh, during the week because you work, and so we want to be able to have something that you can uh, be with other ladies and just kind of study through something and and, uh, encourage one another. Uh, And so we'll have that. The men will probably be here in the auditorium. Uh, and uh, as far as our time, we'll be going through uh, some material in the book of Ephesians, especially towards the end of the book of Ephesians, and uh, we'll be going through that. But uh, so I've got two weeks to go through this material, but I kind of planned for this to be the week that we were going to cover a bunch of material. Uh, when I originally planned through this, I was like, okay, that material is something you can cover in a massive amount uh, and still get the message across uh, that we need to. And then next week, we'll finish with pretty much the last chapter in Ecclesiastes, which is the, uh, to me, very powerful. Uh, if you can get anything out of Ecclesiastes, you can drive right into that section and go, okay, I now know what Ecclesiastes is all about. But uh, what we have today is a section, and you see the title of this section as Sell the Shirt Off Your Back. Uh, you probably have heard individuals make a statement like that. I remember one pastor when I was in graduate school, and he was talking about different books that we should have in our library or as pastors we should read. And I can remember him uh, challenging us that there was a biography of a, pa- a person by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. And uh, it was written by his daughter, but it was a very rare book. And this is back in the mid-90s, so this is before you had the internet where you could find books almost anywhere, and uh, you could do that. And he just merely said this, if you can find this book and you find it anywhere, he goes, be willing just to sell the shirt off your back in order to be able to get this. If that's what it costs to get this, do it. Because it's vital enough for you as a pastor to read uh, what's gone on here and how this man uh, studied the Word of God. You need to see what he did. You need to understand that. So if you see this book, it's rare. You sell the shirt off your back. Well, you go, okay, so what in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, would uh, Solomon be suggesting the fact that we might sell the shirt off our back in order to get it? And it's something that we've hinted at, and you would kind of go, okay, when we say it, when it comes to uh, Solomon, you'd go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And it would be simply this, wisdom. And not just earthly wisdom, wisdom that is godly wisdom. That that's the most important thing to have, beyond riches, beyond fame, beyond any of those things in life that you might have. Uh, You could be the poorest person in the world, and yet God would say, if you have wisdom, you're a person who is doing exactly what you need to in life. You've got everything you need. 
And Solomon, as we've gone through this book, we've kind of gathered the fact as uh, he starts off, he's rather pessimistic. Okay, he's looking at life under the sun as one who's just living as if there's nothing else. It's this life and that's it. And so he does this experiment, and as you go through the first chapters, one, two, three, and four, uh, and, and part of five, you, you just find him very pessimistic. I mean, you, you, if you were to read this, you just kind of go, you know, I, I, I can't read this. This is not my kind of, you know, Monday morning, I need my cup of coffee type of reading where I'm going to be encouraged, you know, because I go into the week and whatever else. It's not necessarily that kind of material because he's doing an experiment. But as you get to chapter 5 and you begin to see him emphasize the fact, fear God. Fear God. Live as if you're going to stand before him in judgment someday. And he just kind of throws these hints out you know, just kind of throws them out for you to go, okay, there's something to life that I look beyond life and look towards God, look out from under the sun, beyond the sun, and then you begin to go after chapter five, he just kind of hints throughout. He doesn't come out and say it, which he's going to do in chapter 12. Okay, here's what you do, Uh, but you've got all these little hints of, okay, you need to fear God. You need to enjoy everything that God gives you and be content with those things, and you're thinking about life in relation to God. And if you know anything about Solomon and you know his other books that he wrote, Proverbs uh, being the one, that you begin to understand that what he's going to declare is the very place that you start off Uh, your walk into godly wisdom, which wisdom is skill in living. What do you mean by skill in living? Any situation you come into, you you, you know how to act. You know how to respond. Okay, that's skill in living. We know what Solomon has said throughout uh, his uh, material. You understand that he is going to talk about the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he starts in, in or excuse me, Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 15 here. It's after he's talked about, can you make the crooked straight? And the answer is no. So you live with what's crooked because God has given us what's crooked in life to learn from. But then in verse 15, he says this, all things I have seen in the days of my vanity, there's a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise, uh, shouldest thou destroy thyself. Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? And then verse 18, it is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from uh, withdraw not thine hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Now, what he says is, you know, in my vanity, I saw this, and I saw people who were uh, righteous that perished early, and people who were wicked, who lived a long life, and he kind of says, don't be overly righteous, and don't be overly wicked. And you're kind of going, wait, is he suggesting I be wicked? Don't be overly wicked? You know, don't be overly righteous. You know, wait, wait a second. Am I not to be perfect like God is perfect? But he's just basically saying, you know, there's a lot of people who are very perfectionistic about everything. 
And it's not bad to take care of things and make sure that they're right, but your life shouldn't crash out of control if something's not in line. You know, something's a little bit messed up and you're like, ah! you know, that pencil's not in the right drawer. You know, okay. You know, it, it, you can take it back to that drawer and everything will be all right. Uh, uh, that's fine. But you got other people who are not overly righteous in this sense is they, they don't really plan for anything. You know, they just live life as it comes and, you know, you go and there's not a single thing organized anywhere within sight of them. And, uh, you know, they, they don't ever really organize anything. And what he's also saying is this, there is some element of life that you just go with because it's disorganized. There's a time and season for everything and you're okay with that. But then ultimately he says this, wait a second, let's just go back to what we've talked about, that what we need to do is live life as if God's got a part of this. If things aren't quite organized, then what I do in life is just simply go, okay, God, you've had a part of this. What am I supposed to be doing with this? What am I supposed to learn with the time that I've got here? Uh, Okay, there are things that seem to be completely out of control right now. Lord, uh, you have a part in this. What, What and why is this going on? And that's a person who's living life and going, okay, God has a part of this, and it may be that I started off with a flat tire today, and then I realized I had different socks on, which is actually okay in today's culture. You can do that. But uh, you have different mismatching socks. And you go through all of this, and you start your day off like this, and we might go, okay, this day was a total, total waste. You know, it started off bad, and it's just going to worse. And the answer is, okay, but why is God allowing all these things to happen? You know, maybe there's somebody that I'm supposed to be talking to in the midst of this. The guy who comes to fix the tire. Or uh, perhaps we can have a good laugh over the fact that somebody else that I'm wearing mismatched socks. But God allows these things to happen. God plays a role in our life. So I live life as if God really does exist and he has a part of my life. If you grab hold onto that, that's the start of living life like you should. You can do that. Now, if you attempt to live life by the standard the world gives of wisdom, you'll find this, and I'm just going to put it this way, earthly wisdom alone frustrates Okay, Uh, when you get into this, Solomon starts talking about wisdom once again, not from a godly perspective, but from earthly perspective of people using their wisdom. And in verse 23, you see the statement, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it will be far from me. You know, a lot of people in today's culture, they're proclaiming to be wise, but they're fools. Verse 24, that which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands is bands, who, whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. 
One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among whom those I have found not. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. You go, what do you mean by inventions? They come up with their own ideas without God. See, earthly wisdom frustrates, but what you see in this passage, there is an element where you talk about this in the middle in verse number 26 where there's an individual whose heart is a snare and a net, her hands is bands, and you go, what are you talking about? Well, it sounds almost like what he talks about in the book of Proverbs as you get to the, that first part in Proverbs chapter 4 and, and 7 and 8 where you have this woman that's called the strange woman. You know, a woman that ought to be foreign to a follower of God. And you say, how do you escape an individual like that? Well, you give them wisdom from God. And there's this advice that's given by Solomon that you can escape the snares and the temptations in this life uh, if you see them as God sees them. But if you're just a human being going through life, going on your own wisdom, whatever else, you're going to get caught in all sorts of temptations and snares. And so wisdom from God has its advantages because even though there are bad people in this world and bad things in this life and tempting things in this world, if a person is not going from earthly wisdom alone, all the philosophies of our day and all the good advice, no, I'm coming from God as being a part of life and he has certain rules and he exists and he plays a role in my life, there are going to be certain sins I'm not going to be caught by. So what then happens, and you, you see this in this next section in your notes there, is that godly wisdom has advantages. And it's not exactly this way throughout the whole thing, but what I have done is just simply said, let's go through and look at just some short examples of what wisdom's advantages are according to Solomon. It's got certain advantages. And so what advantages do they have? Well, um, let's just start in chapter 8 and verse 1. It says this, Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Now, let me just give you this statement and reread it again. Verse 1, who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? When you read that wording, are there people that come to your mind in your Old Testament? Were there certain individuals who knew the interpretation of something? What? Joseph's one. Daniel's another. Here you've got uh, a, this uh, person that, that uh, is describing wisdom this way, that wisdom allows you entrance before leaders. 
And you think about both of these men, they are slaves. And yet they're in the court of kings. And you go, well, that's because they're crafty. You know, they're subtle. That type of thing. No, these are, um, let me make sure the door's not locked back there. Or somebody was standing at it. Um, here these, these individuals aren't getting there by their craftiness. No, they are simply throughout declaring that they know God. That they love God. And you'd say, well, wait a second, that's going to be a real disadvantage in life. You do that and you declare that you're, you, you know God and you believe that it really does exist. You're not going to get anywhere in life. But here you have two individuals that are in the lowest status in society and they're ones who fear God and live as if he really does exist. I mean, you think about the way Joseph talks when it gets to the end of uh, his father's life and his father dies and the brothers are like, oh no, Joseph's going to get us. And he has to remind them that God did this for good. You know, you did things that were, that, that were evil, but God worked this out for good. That's an individual who's thinking the way God thinks. That is, he really does exist, plays a role in our life, has a part of it. And so here you've got an individual who stands before a king, though he was a slave. Daniel, the same way. Uh, an individual who was a slave, and yet he stands not before just one king. You look at his uh, rulership, he actually is under four different kings from two different empires that he is uh, one who's an advisor to kings. So wisdom can gain you entrance before leaders. It can also give you, and I'll put it this way, escape from judgment. I, I you know, did another alliteration thing here, so um, don't do it often. Because sometimes you can miscombobulate words. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, escape from judgment... Verse 6 says this, because in every purpose uh, there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him, for he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Verse 9, all this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his hurt. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city where they had also done. This also is vanity." Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set to them to do evil. And so you start off this section and you just kind of go, okay, there is uh, things that go on in life that you can't escape from. Here you got these people that are trying to escape from judgment and, and they're, they're, you know, you say judgment seemingly bad things that are going on. I mean, you think about the situation we mentioned in Afghanistan. There's a lot of things going on there and people looking for escape. And you go, there doesn't seem to be an escape for individuals there. But you look at uh, verse 12 and it says this, though a sinner do evil and hundred times in his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. Which fear not, uh, he, he feareth, uh, excuse me, uh, which fear before him. 
It shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before the Lord. You kind of go, God watches out specifically for those that are his? And the answer is yes. Ones that are claiming to know God and that he really is a part of their life, uh, that God takes care of them. Well, you get to the end in verse number 15. It says this, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. Even a person who is going through bad times that knows God can delight in the daily blessings of life. And you have this passage again, it's one of these, you seize the day passages that we've talked about, that you take every day as it comes and enjoy the little simple blessings that God gives day in and day out, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the way this person lives their life. So this person can delight even in bad days. You know, when you don't escape that judgment or you have bad things happening to you, you can still enjoy the little things. And just remember the story of the fleas uh, with Corey Tenboom that she was upset about the fleas. And she would never be able to praise and thank God for the fleas. And then she realized that's what was keeping the guards out of their, their barracks uh, because they had fleas in their barracks. And she could thank God for fleas. So uh, there is this uh, element that a person uh, can delight in even bad days. You know, another thing that you can have is this, enjoyment in the face of inevitable death. We're all going to die. And there are people who are miserable over the fact that they're going to die. It fills their nights with sleeplessness. It makes them uh, shake and uh, not have good health. They can't eat at times because they're afraid of their own death. They worry about this. And when you get to Ecclesiastes 1, 9, or excuse me, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but you can read through it yourself. You will find this, that death is inescapable for Everyone. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor or whether you're known or you're loved, you're hated. It doesn't matter. You're going to die. Kind of go, those aren't encouraging words, but, but it's reality. Okay, it's part of the human experience. We're all going to die, but on the other hand, enjoy your work, your relations, and your activities now. Don't sit here and worry about when you're going to die. Because it's going to come. But till that point, enjoy what you have. Verse 7, go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now hath accepted thy works. Let thy garments be always white, let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun, all the days of, of vanity. For this is thy portion, we would say in our terms, inheritance in this life, and in thy labor which thou hast taken under the sun, whatsoever thy hand hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. 
whither thou goest. Guess what? You can't do anything when you're dead. You've got life right now. Enjoy the relationships that you have. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your activities because there's going to come a time where that stops. And until that point, enjoy life. You know, for us, we understand God will call us home in his time. So if I'm still here, God's got a reason for that. I saw last week there was a lady in the church at Fitchburg that uh, I knew uh, fairly well. In fact, I remember the story when I came there. I hadn't been there, even the pastor yet. I had just come in February, and it was my first week, and I went into this man's house, and he said, I just want to let you know, I didn't vote for you, and I didn't want you here. I mean, if you understand what was going on when it was there, I got a 56% vote going there, but I knew what was going on in the church. And so my response, my wife and daughter were sitting there and were absolutely horrified, thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? And I said, well, what, what are you upset about? Six months later, her husband came in and goes, well, he came into church and goes, I didn't vote for you and didn't want you, but I'm glad you're our pastor. Well, when I was there, he ended up getting Parkinson's disease, and over time, just watching him go from a person who was rather you know, humorous all the time and that to nothing, it was kind of sad. But his wife, who was left behind him, had severe back pains, always severe back pains. And so when her husband passed away, they didn't have children. Uh, they lived life uh, in the same house they had lived in for, well, 70 years. Uh, so it was their house. Um, she goes, her statement was, well, why am I still here? I said, well, the Lord's still giving you life. You've got things to do. It's not just merely that he's forgotten about you. He's got a purpose for you here. And you had to keep reminding her of that. But I did rejoice this weekend when I found out that she, she went to glory. You know, her time was done. Her activity and her relations that were here, all of those things, now she can't do because she's in glory. But we, we all have to remind ourselves of this. If God's given me life and God's given me uh, continued life, even though I might be in great pain or not in the best of circumstances, we're commanded this to enjoy the relationships, the work, and the activity that we have because it's been given to us by God. And he will take us home whenever we're going to die. Kind of going, okay, well, if I look at life that way, I'm going to be living differently than a lot of other people uh, with this, that I'm going to enjoy this even though eventually death's inevitable. You also have uh, this in verses 11 through 18, that there is escape, or excuse me, exit from difficulties. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, there's a story there in the midst of this where you have this great and mighty city that an army comes up against and they have no solution on how they're going to free themselves. And there's this poor man that's in the city that has nothing to offer other than his wisdom. And by his wisdom, the city is delivered, rescued. And uh, so you think about this, a poor man delivers a city. 
He doesn't have riches, he doesn't have armies, he doesn't have people serving him, he has no military talent, nothing like this, but he does have wisdom. And he's able to deliver the city. You have accounts of this where people, just by their wisdom, said, you know what, it might be better just to surrender at this point than getting wiped out. Offer them what they want and give it to them and they'll go away. Instead of having a massive loss of life and you read accounts of that even in scripture and history, you have that going on. And you go, it was just a person giving, well, wisdom. They have nothing else to offer. Uh, wisdom does uh, help with escape, exit from difficulties. And then uh, I put it this way because I really, you know, you begin reading in chapter 10 and it begins sounding like the Proverbs one verse after the other, kind of short statements that are, are given. It's no longer these long, lengthy arguments. It's kind of short statements. For example, look at verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savior. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Uh, we would put it this way. Do you really want to use perfume that's got a dead fly in it? You're like, well, I paid a lot of money for it and whatever. There's just this element that you're like, so it is. A little folly. You have a person who has a reputation throughout their whole life of uh, good and leadership and all of this, and a moment of folly puts a stink on their character. Okay, I'll give you an example. David, the psalmist, the one who wrote 73 of our psalms. What do you remember him for? One day of folly. Just one. So dead flies uh, and the ointment of the apothecary uh, can do this. And so I put this one down as the example, the avoidance of folly. You know, a person who's got a long-term view on life, who views life from God's perspective, is not going to go, well, I'm allowed to sow my oats just for a second. Now, a little bit of wild oats, that's okay. No, God's not saying anywhere a little bit of wild oats is okay. He's saying, be perfect even as I am perfect. There's a, a goal of doing what's right. So if I live life with wisdom, I'm going to avoid you know, that temporary folly, foolishness uh, of sin. Uh, it's going to help you keep your tongue. I mean, it sounds like James 3 where uh, you're told that a perfect man is able to bridle their tongue. It's the hardest thing for us to tame. But a person who's got wisdom can have a good effort at this. Uh, you go through and look at uh, the verses there, but verse 20 is the one I want us to look at. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You go, what does that mean? I shouldn't say something that I don't want to be heard by somebody else. Okay, if I tell somebody something, uh, guess what? The likelihood of that getting to the other person is extremely high. So you know what the answer is? Just don't say it. 
Think about the long-term consequence. You know, at the moment, it might be the thing to say, but think about the long-term consequences of it. That's folly. But a person who's thinking about God and this and the, the, the whole matter and scope of life and eternity that I'm going to have to stand before God as judge, uh, there would be things I would say that I would suddenly stop and not say. And this. And then this. Generosity reaps long-term benefits. Uh, this is something that the world doesn't think about. If I give stuff away, I'm losing stuff. If I give stuff away, I'm losing that. I need to keep it. Well, look at how it says it in verse 1 of chapter 11. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth, that the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, and the place where the tree falleth, there shall it be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh it all. I mean, it's basically saying this. You might go, well, if I'm generous right now, you know, the stock market could crash. You know, you look at the economy and there's just bad things going on in the economy right now and, you know, inflation is just on a level that's never been seen before and if I'm, if I'm generous with other people and give stuff away, oh no, what's going to happen to me? And the answer is this. A, you don't know what God's timing is on things. But B, the fact is, is you put bread upon the water or you scatter to seven or eight, you don't know when evil will come upon the earth because there may be a time where you're going to need people to be generous back to you when the evil day comes. A wise person is going, I'm looking at the long-term benefits here. The long-term good. Uh, It may be seemingly to my own hurt, but wisdom says this, the relationships and the goodness that I display to others will eventually be reflected back. Not that that's the reason I do it, but that that's what's going to happen. And so as you read through chapters 10 and 11, you're just going to find example after example, those are just a few of them, of the different things that Solomon says, wisdom advantages you in this and this and this and this and this living as if life really does have a God that's a part of it. And so what we're going to find next week is that this message was not necessarily just for us to consider at the end of life. It's one that we ought to be proclaiming to the youth, young people. And that was the purpose of this, was that young people, before they ever go down this course, get wisdom that they are far in their looking, their perception far looking in their uh, goals in life because they start off at the right place that they fear God, that God really does play a role in life, that he is a part of everything we do, and one day we're going to have to stand before him. So it would be good to be prepared to meet him. And so uh, wisdom... Living life as if God exists and is a part of it is the most valuable thing that you can do in meeting life's demands day in and day out. Sell your shirt to get it. 
But the fact is we probably don't have to sell our shirt to get it because we all have copies of what God has said and we can get a lot of godly wisdom just if we were simply to go, I'm willing to sell a little bit of my time to get in here. Read what God has to say. Learn it. It's available. You don't have to sell your shirt to get a knowledge of God. Lord, we thank you. Pray that uh, you would be with us as we go throughout our day, that we would display uh, and reflect that we, we know you. That uh, you do have a part in our life. So we trust that uh, you would uh, be magnified in our life, that we would have a grasp on things because we have a grasp of you and a knowledge of you and a relationship with you. So Lord, uh, help us to live in a way that the world does not live. It comes natural to them to ignore you. May we live in a supernatural way because the Spirit is dwelling in us and Christ has made us a new creature. And may we reflect wisdom. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.